The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. Welcome to the Ask Harry podcast. This is Harry Margolis, and this is the podcast where we interview experts on all aspects of estate planning. In this episode of Ask Harry, Harry talks with financial advisor Gabrielle Clemens on the subject of divorce and financial planning. Gabrielle, thank you for joining me today. I'm looking forward to our discussion about financial planning and divorce. But before we get into that, uh, as you know, we always start our segments with a question from the askharry.info website, where we answer questions uh, about any estate planning issue uh, consumers might have. So uh, here's a question. I recently married about three months ago, and in the event my husband needs to enter a nursing home and exhaust all his financial resources, would I be liable to pay his nursing home expenses? This is my third marriage and his second. We've never commingled our assets. Mine are in my name only, and his are in his name. Would my refusal to pay for his expenses make him ineligible for Medicaid when he runs out of money? And also, would Medicaid sue me to get his uh, to get coverage for his expenses? And would it help in, in that case if we got divorced then? So uh, this is a long-term care planning question. And as you know, the main source of payment for long-term care in the United States is Medicaid. But to qualify, you have to be poor. And if you're a married couple and determining whether you're poor, they usually limit the couple to about $130,000 in total assets plus their house. But fortunately for you, or for the, for the person who wrote in, there's, um, there's an exception to this, and it's often called uh, just say no, um, which, which allows a person to apply as an, in, as an individual, even if they're married, if the spouse refuses to cooperate. And uh, while it's not used that often, we do use it in Massachusetts, where I practice in cases of second marriage, or in this case, in cases of third marriage, um, where, as, as this person wrote, they act financially as if they're separate. Uh, so in that case, if uh, this woman's husband were to enter a nursing home and were to run through all of his own savings, she could just uh, sign an affidavit saying that she's not going to help support him or help support the Medicaid application process. And then his eligibility would be based on his assets alone and she would be free and clear. So she wouldn't have to get divorced. So this is uh, kind of tangentially related to uh, our, our discussion of divorce today. Um, and uh, maybe you might have advised her differently if she had come to see you first uh, about uh, financial planning. Um, but I'm wondering if someone is contemplating divorce, at what step should they consult with you or another financial planner to, to get ready? Well, thank you, Harry, for the question. And thank you for having me on today. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to your, uh, your clients and your fans. Um, people can, can contact me as soon as they have a feeling that they might want to get divorced. So, um, I, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a big step. It's a big financial step. And it's a big issue for your family. And some people just like to see sort of what would it look like if we were to get divorced? What would it mean? Can you walk me through the process? Can you walk me through my options? And what would likely be the ultimate scenario for me? So some people, um, especially people over a certain age, it may just be, you know, spending time apart. You don't have to get divorced. You don't have to... Um, 
um, you know, blow up the whole family, if that's really not the issue. So if, if the issue is, um, especially if you have significant assets, you may just want to take a different, uh, a different approach to spending time apart. Um, and there are ways to do that without having to go through the process of divorce. So uh, if somebody wants to contact me uh, to, at the beginning, just to see sort of what that would look like, I can help them. If they're in the throes of divorce, oftentimes divorce attorneys will send people my way or mediators to say, just figure out the financial part. I used to be a divorce attorney um, and I handle, I always enjoy just handling the financial portions of a, of a separation agreement and negotiation. So, um, so people can come to me and we can work out just the financials, what makes sense, what would the asset division look like, what would the liability division look like, um, and help them negotiate and sort through the process uh, as, they're, as they're going through it in the middle. And then people come to me at the end. So their attorney, mediator, or their uh, best friend will hand me a divorce agreement and say, okay, tie up the loose ends. Let's get the IRAs um, you know, transferred. Let's start the quadro process. Uh, how are we going to structure our finances so that when support ends, we can just pick up on our own assets, our own support, um, and live off our, our own finances. So before, during, after, there's no best time, but it depends what, what the person, what the couple needs. Because finances have to be one of the most uh, stressful parts of divorce, because you, you've um, two supposedly can live cheaper than, or one, two together can live cheaper than two apart, supposedly, and if you're raising fam family, You've got all those costs plus education costs. And you might have had a situation where one spouse was the major earner. And uh, what does that mean for the other spouse who's now going to have to, there may be some alimony and a split of assets, but still going to have to support himself or herself. Well, it's true. And divorce oftentimes brings upon a, a financial liability that doesn't exist if you were a married couple. So you mentioned college college funding. So if you are a married couple in an intact family and your child wants to go to college, there's no law, there's no court order requiring that you pay for that. You may have a moral uh, you know, obligation, but you don't have a legal obligation. And when you get to, when you get divorced, the agreement, separation agreement will often order one spouse or both to share the cost and sometimes the child. So for a while, the judges were ordering a one third, one third, one third liability. So one third for mom, one, or one, one partner, one third for the other partner and the other third for the child. Uh, and it's, it's actually a court order that you wouldn't normally have under other circumstances. It uh, depends on the jurisdiction as well. Uh, Massachusetts does that, but New Hampshire does not because it's not enforceable. Finance is, is very stressful in divorce. Many times people will um, come to me and say, well, we're getting along great. We're going to just uncouple and this is all going to work out very nicely until you hit the money question. And that's right. when things can go astray. The devil's in the details. Um, and they may have had different expectations about the money, about uh, whether, um, how it should be split, whether it's 50-50 or should uh, follow whoever earned it or brought it into the couple. Exactly, and it depends on whether there's a prenup or a postnup. Postnuptial agreements um, are getting very common here in Massachusetts, a prenuptial agreements, very common. You don't need to be a, a, a wealthy person. Everyone should have a prenup. 
Uh, you, you know, you don't need to have a significant amount of assets to start with, but you want to plan for that in the future. Um, if you were to divorce and um, and one one person has made significantly more or inherited more assets than the other person, so it can get messy very quickly. Yeah. So if someone is uh, contemplating divorce but is concerned about how he or she is going to live afterwards, um, and uh, and he or she were, were to meet with you, what what how, what would happen in that meeting and how, how would you help that person? Sure. Well, I, you know, I, I have a new case of the recently under the COVID stay at home order. I have a woman who called me and she is interested in divorcing her husband who is living under the same roof and may or may not know that she is planning this. And my mm -hmm. advice to her was let's, let's begin with um, getting together the documents that you need in order to number one, fill out your financial statement. So, so let's get the 401k documents, the IRA documents, um, the last three years of your tax returns. So while everybody is under the same roof and the documents may or may not be, um, you know, close at hand, it's helpful to, um, to, to gather as much as you can, get the passwords to the accounts, um, get all the up-to-date documents, and then start to really think about what your post-divorce life would look like. Do you wanna keep the house? Do you wanna stay in Massachusetts? Do you wanna to move to Florida? Do you wanna you know, stay partners in a business perhaps that you've, you've built together? So it's really sort of um, just building a, a vision for what your post-divorce life will look like. And so, uh, so you mentioned COVID-19, uh, the, the current pandemic is uh, uh, people being forced actually to live full time 24-7 under the same roof. Is, is that causing um, more people to contemplate divorce? Well, I think it is. Um, you can't spell COVID without divorce, unfortunately. And it's, wow. and it, it is, uh, I think it's just having people thinking more about their future. Um, a lot, oftentimes you can gloss over any imperfections in a relationship and another person because you're busy with your life. You're going out, you're seeing your friends, you're going to work, you're coming back. Um, here, under these current circumstances, that you just don't have that. And so you're all in a fishbowl looking at one another and you know and examining the cracks and wondering do I really want to live the rest of my life this way um, and it's it's a fair question I, I think you know people throughout this pandemic they've sort of taken a second look at their values and what they can do without and um, you know that may be a spouse yeah and and, and maybe without the spouse's income because uh, that, that uh, you may decide that uh, um, that What's been working uh, isn't optimal, I guess. That you, be, you might it may make sense to uh, not have quite as high a standard of living if you can live the life you want to live. Well, it's true, and, and this pandemic has has it has really been a perfect storm for couples in in perfect relationships and families in general. It, it brings together the the legal issues of divorce or staying together, the financial issues, and also health issues. So once you start focusing on your health and you're saying, well, do I really need as much money? And do I really want to spend the rest of my life with this person? I could move to. Tucson, Arizona, live cheaper, uh, have a better lifestyle, and maybe not work so hard. So I've seen a lot of that, and it doesn't always have to be negative. It's just people re-examining their um, their lease on life and what's what's important to them today. We don't know how long we're going to live, and uh, and uh, no one's going to live forever. So it's good to be intentional about how we live. 
So after the divorce occurs and people are picking up the pieces and trying to figure out if they haven't done it all the planning ahead of time, uh, probably if they've been too overwhelmed, for instance, um, how do you how do you help them do the planning at that point? And, and I, I suppose it's no different from any client who comes in and they're single and they're, they're uh, planning for the future. Well, that's correct. Um, however, there are, as I mentioned, there are certain uh, obligations that arise out of the process of divorce, such as you may have a life insurance obligation. So typically, uh, if, you're, if you're paying support, a person needs to, um, to protect that income stream for the person who's receiving the support in the event that if they were to pass away. So life insurance obligations um, are, very, are very important. It's important to apply for life insurance, make sure ahead of time if that person who's paying the support is qualifies to mm -hmm. get life insurance because it's part, it's, it's, it's a very critical component of an agreement that, you know, if at any point before support is terminated, that this person, the payor were to pass away, that it's backed up by a life insurance policy. So that's an important thing to uh, follow up with after divorce, or we should really do that before the divorce is over. Um, and also transferring the IRAs pursuant to um, the agreed upon division of assets uh, and liabilities as well. And also following up with your estate planning um, components, which is, you know, the four things they really need to check on after the divorce is the first thing, first and foremost, change your healthcare proxy mm -hmm. designation to somebody other than your ex-spouse, especially if you have a very large uh, life insurance death benefit <laughs> in their favor. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully that won't influence them too much, but... <laughs> Um, no, definitely um, a plan for a couple is going to be very different from a plan for a single person. I imagine that in a lot of couples, there's one spouse who's handling all the finances. And then when they, uh, when they split, all of a sudden, uh, the spouse who hadn't been handling the finances has to be, become familiar with and responsible for his or her own um, investments and spending and all the bills. And uh, do, do you see that a lot? I do. I see that a lot. Um, and, you know, that's a great opportunity to, you know, educate yourself. And I educate my clients. I have classes. I have WebExes um, to go through a budget and really understand what's coming in and what's going out. And what are you trying to accomplish in your investments? For a lot of people, uh, depending on when they're getting divorced, you know, their windfall or their half of the assets are, it's just never gonna happen again. If you get a certain amount, um, you just don't have time to accumulate those th that amount of money going forward. And it's really about protection and producing income from those assets. So depending on, you know, if you're starting to receive social security how does that factor in? Um, are you going to get an inheritance? So really taking stock of what investments you have, what you need them to do. Is it more important to protect them as opposed to growing them? We need to produce income from those investments in order to support you or your spouse or your former spouse um, if you are paying support uh, or if you're receiving support. At some point, that support that you receive is going to end and we plan for the seamless transition from you know, support to your own income from your own investments. So you're using, using the word support, is that the same as alimony? 
Correct. It could be child support. It could be uh, it could be alimony. And these days, because of the change in um, the tax tax treatment of alimony, um, they're they they're not one and the same. But they they for tax purposes they are the same. Um, so it used to be that alimony was tax deductible to the person who was paying it and includable in tax for the person receiving it. And if that was your agreement, that will continue to be your agreement. Mm-hmm. But um, after I think it was twenty. 2018, um, alimony is no longer tax deductible, nor is it includable in a person's income. So for tax purposes, they're, they're the same, uh, same tax treatment, but child support has certain, you know, ends at when a child's emancipated, um, and there's quite, there are criteria around that, but also alimony will end, uh, has a different set of criteria uh, that it can end upon, such as cohabitation um, and death and um, whether or not somebody starts to work. So it's, um, it just depends, but yes, support means child support and alimony. So, uh, so, um, so the alimony you receive is tax free uh, and, um, and uh, there are disincentives to go to work. It sounds like in some cases or to, or to uh, move in with somebody. Uh, well, yes, Massachusetts has changed uh, it, the criteria around the modification of alimony. And, um, and actually, it's interesting you brought up the work issue. Uh, in Essex County, there's a judge that has been ordering seek work orders. So for <laughs> a person to receive alimony, they are also under a court order to seek work as you would under the terms of unemployment, say. Hmm. Um, and that's a developing that's a developing trend, um, and um, we'll have to stay tuned on that. Interesting. And and wasn't there also a change in the Massachusetts law about the ability to end alimony if you're um, say you reach age sixty five or seventy whenever you retire that you may not have to keep paying it. That's correct. Uh, so Massachusetts basically said, you know, you can, uh, you can only, ha- you only have to pay alimony up until your full retirement age. You can offer, you can, you can take on the responsibility to pay it longer if you wish, and there are people who do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and but, but they, they put a limit on it because prior to these to these guidelines, it just didn't exist, and people would have to be they they would have been married ten years from age 25 to 35 and pay alimony for the rest of their lives on mm-hmm. all of their income. So uh, there was a group that was very, um, very aggressive in getting that changed. And now it's typically people can, will be obligated to pay alimony up until their full retirement age, according to social security. So you can't just retire at 59 and say, that's it, I'm not paying alimony. You have to at least pay up until your full retirement age as defined by social security, unless you, unless you negotiate otherwise and that, that it be equitable and fair. So for, for most people who would be retiring around now, that would be age 66 or 67. Correct. Correct. And so, and then if, um, so that's the age when you can get your full social security benefit, it's neither early retirement or is, nor is it postponing it to age 70 when you can, uh, take your, um, when, when, when you get your maximum social security benefit. Right. And you don't have to retire and you don't have to file for social security. Uh-huh. It's just in the agreement that you can stop paying, you stop paying support on that mm-hmm. day. It's so uh-huh. you don't have to. Um, and that's an important distinction because people think that maybe they have to actually 
retire, but, but they don't. You could continue to earn. You just don't have to pay alimony anymore. Really, this whole financial, the financial picture is, uh, is, is a huge part of divorce because up until um, the divorce, in most cases, you're, you're acting as a single, as a married couple, you're acting as a single financial unit. I mean, you may have your own accounts and th- different things, but still, um, I think most people think of everything together. And that now it's going to be split in half. Well, that's true. Um, although I have to say with the younger generation, I am finding that things are separate and they mm. pay for separate items. One person uh-huh. pays the mortgage, one person buys the groceries, um, or they split 50-50 the mortgage, 50-50 the groceries. So it's, it's, it's tra- changing a little bit for the people who are in their 30s and 40s. Um, they're, just, they're just viewing this. And I, and I believe that's just because they have watched their parents or grandparents go through divorce and they're saying, we're not going to do this. So prenuptial sure. agreements, very common among young professionals. Interesting. I was totally unaware of that. The only change that I had been aware of is in my generation, most women did not take their husband's name among my, my friends. And uh, most of the young lawyers and other people working at my firm, they all do take their, their husband's name. Uh, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. But, but, they, but, but maybe they keep their finances separate. I don't know. Even though they keep their names together. Yeah. You know, everybody has a different relationship to money and it really depends on what their experience has been, what their family's experience has been. And it also depends on their inheritance and what they can expect um, to inherit um, over the next, over the course of their lives and what is included as a marital asset and what isn't. So that's a big, you know, a big topic of contention around, um, marriages these days. So Gabrielle, if anyone, uh, whether or not they're contemplating divorce, uh, wanted to reach you for financial planning, how would they do that? Well, um, they can call me, my office number. I'm with RBC Wealth Management. I'm a managing director and my office number is 617-725-1702. Or you can email me at gabrielle.clemens at rbc.com. It's G-A-B-R-I-E-L-L-E dot C-L-E-M-E-N-S at rbc.com. Thank you very much, Gabrielle. I think this will be very helpful to our listeners. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Ask Harry podcast. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends and colleagues. If you have questions about estate planning, you can find answers at askharry.info. And if you don't find your answer there, you can post a question and I will respond to it. You can also subscribe and listen to future episodes on iTunes. If you're interested in Harry's book, Get Your Ducks in a Row, The Baby Boomer's Guide to Estate Planning, please visit margolis.com. That's M-A-R-G-O-L-I-S dot com. Ask Harry is a production of pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network.